Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As uh, we continue on in the study we're doing of the New Testament right now, we're actually going to work through the entire Bible together over a 20-year span. I like thinking big, and I expect you all to be here every Wednesday for those 20 years. Um, <laughs> that's the kind of attitude I'm talking about right there. People that are saying yes. Um, <laughs> and then I hope to do it for another 20 after that. And then I'll be like 90 and I'll, um, we'll just shoot it five-year chunks after that probably. I don't know. So <laughs> we'll do the New Testament again. Um, we're working through this whole thing a week at a time, sort of a chapter at a time. Sometimes we do two chapters or half a chapter, depending on what's going on. Pretty much a chapter at a time. And we are, we're, uh, as you study it that way, it kind of helps keep it in context and uh, sort of figure out what's going on. So a, a slow, methodical study of the scripture is very, very helpful. And we're working through the New Testament. We did the Gospels. It's a, just a really good place to start, see the ministry of Jesus. And then we, we moved into the book of Acts to watch the early church get started. And uh, we looked at, you know, primarily in the book of Acts, you see the ministry of Peter and the ministry of Paul. And now we're going through the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he started. Uh, and hopefully as we have, we talked about the missionary journeys that he took, you can, you can see the reason for the letters and then you hold them in context. Um, because it, it, the, the problem that can come from reading things out of context is you can develop ideas that were never intended. And so you need to know that, that the, the letters that Paul wrote were written to specific churches dealing with specific issues. Uh, in response to questions that had been raised. They're still very applicable to the church today because he was writing back to the church in those areas. Um, but but uh, oftentimes they're written in response to particular questions and that makes a difference in how you understand what's going on. So reading them like this and looking into these things helps us to know what the issues are and then understand that the, the verses contained in there dealing with those issues. And we're, we're into Galatians right now, the letter he wrote to the church in Galatia. And um, uh, he's dealing specifically with the impact of the Judaizers on the church there in Galatia. And that if you remember what's gone on, the Judaizers were a group of Jewish believers who had taken on themselves the mission to go to the Gentile churches and, and um, tell the Gentile churches that if they really wanted to be saved and follow Christ, they were going to have to get circumcised. And in effect, what they were saying, we know the deeper issue was, more than circumcision, was that they needed to go back and, and they needed to put themselves under the law. Uh, if they were really going to be saved, they, they, in effect, would have to become like the Jews under the law in order to be saved. And Paul says it's not the case that, that uh, that's not what's supposed to happen at all. In fact, um, we've all been freed from the, from the law and the curse of the law in Christ. And that he's, he's making this case. He's, he's, uh, you know, we looked at how he took it to Jerusalem in the book of Acts to make sure the church was, was with him, the established church, and they were. And these group of Judaizers were not sent out by them. They'd just taken it on themselves and were stirring up trouble in, in all of the work that Paul had done. Imagine how frustrating it would be to go out and to spend literally your life 
um, doing the mission that God had called you to, which was a very difficult mission. It wasn't cushy. It's not like he got to go stay in really good hotels or anything. Uh, you know, he was, he, he was just, he, everywhere he went, they usually beat him up really bad. Um, uh, you know, he, he was shipwrecked numerous times. He said he was hungry all the time, and all sorts of things happened to Paul. He's pouring his life into these people. And here comes these group of guys saying that they're from the main church, they have more authority than he does, and they, they try and undo everything that he's done. And he's, he's just going, I can't believe this is happening. And so he's writing back to the church, and he says, I can't believe how quickly you've been, you know, swayed by these people that have come in, and they're teaching you exactly the opposite of what we taught you. And so he's, he's bringing them back. He's, he's reestablishing them, and he talks about that and what's going on. The point that he makes that's applicable today is that... Um, um, the law does not bring life. It's faith in Jesus that brings life. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit had been moving in their churches and working miracles not because of their observance of the law, but because they'd responded to the gospel message and placed their faith in Christ. And, and life in Christ is a matter of faith from beginning to end. It has always been about faith. The law cannot and does not bring life. The law condemns and actually um, puts anyone who does not do everything in it, which is impossible to do because of our sin nature, under a curse. And it's Jesus' death on a cross that releases us from the curse of the law so that we can relate to God through faith. It's what Jesus did that allows us to enter into his presence. It's, it's what we talk about here all the time on the weekends, that we have access to the, to the literal presence of a holy God because of what Jesus did, because we're no longer under the law that put us under a curse that kept us separate from God. So he's made a way for us in Christ, and, and it's in faith in Christ that it happens. The great priest we have over the house of God, and, and the fact that we're in Christ has made a way for us into relationship with God. The law could not do that. You cannot get to life through the law. And remember, whenever I say these things, I always want to bring this point up, because when we talk about uh, a life of faith, and we talk about the amazing grace of God, uh, as opposed to being under the law, some people think, and, and even in the New Testament still now, in those times they say, well, does that mean that we can just do whatever we want to do? And the answer to that is, of course not. Um, what it means is, is rather than, than trying to define a set of rules, which is what we're driven to, what we need to do is, is in step with the Spirit, um, live the life that we're called to. And the Spirit of God will um, keep you from doing things that you shouldn't. He'll convict you, and you get to choose all the time whether or not you're going to do it anyway. But, but if we define a series of rules and say that, you know, life is found as you follow these rules, life isn't found there. Because A, you'll break those rules, which puts you under in trouble anyway. And then, and then you sort of, you, you get this self-righteous attitude that comes from thinking that you're following the rules better than other people. And it's fascinating to me how we always do that. We're always, uh, in our sin nature, looking around for people that are doing just a little worse than us so we can feel better about ourselves. And, and it's ridiculous when you think about it. Um, I, I have been fortunately set free from doing drugs since 1985. Um, but I can remember before then, when I was very involved in drugs, I always looked down on people that... that um, uh, uh, would like shoot drugs because I would never do that and I always thought that they were somehow you know worse than me and how ridiculous is it just because I <laughs> I would do just about everything else but see I had a standard and those were the really bad people 
And, and you kind of look at that stuff and you, you, do you, you get, uh, I'm amazed at, this, at the way that we, we work that out in our lives. But see, that's, that's law, that you get that way when you're law following. When you're living in step with the Spirit, trying to, trying to do the next right thing, listen to the Spirit, you don't get it because the only comparison in your life that you can make is to Jesus. And you're always going to fall a little short there, um, always. But if you can't do that with other people. See, it doesn't come. And then so that keeps you from being self-righteous, which is what happens when you, when you start following the law. And once you get self-righteous, then you, you have no impact. You lose your impact on the world. And, and on people, and it's, it's a miserable, miserable thing. So that's what he's trying to do now with the Galatians. He's trying to keep them, uh, you know, settled in um, how they found life, which was in Christ. All right, so Galatians 4, Paul picks up the topic, 31 verses. Let me read them to you. What I am saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you're turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Jesus Christ himself. Christ Jesus himself. What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. These things may be taken figuratively, for the woman represents two covenants. For the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud. You have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman 
than of her who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born in the ordinary way persecuted the son born by the power of the spirit. It is the same now. But what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, a few things that we got to talk about there just to help hold all that in context. Remember from last week, just a couple of things. Um, the life and, uh, life and the law. Um, the law was added hundreds of years after faith was introduced as the way that we would relate to God. It didn't start with the law, it started with faith um, and, and, and Abraham. The law was added uh, as a, to sort of hold things in check because of the hardness of men's heart until Jesus came, until the seed came. The law was always meant to be temporary because the only way we can truly relate to God is by faith. That's it. It doesn't work any other way. The law didn't have the function of bringing life. That's always been the role given to faith. Um, the law was introduced kind of to give us uh, and to help us to get to Christ. The realization hopefully being that none of us could live up and carry out the law. None of us, no matter how hard we try, and that we would need something else, a savior. And, and that was the purpose of the law. So the law, we looked at Genesis or Galatians 3 was like a pedagogue is the word in there, like a, the family slave that was given the job of watching over the children until they were old enough to sort of take care of themselves. So, so that's what we've learned so far. Now as we, as we move into chapter 4, um, Paul tells us that now that Christ has come, those who have faith in him are no longer under the supervision of the law. In Christ, he says, all of us, male, female, slave, and free, have received the full rights of sons, of children. Now, the, the full rights of sons is more of a Roman concept than a Jewish one. And, and it had to do with um, the, the way they viewed things that children... Um, what the father possessed, what the family possessed, was considered to belong to the children as well, all under the discretion of the father at, at what point that they would come into that inheritance. And, and he was allowed to, um, you know, have authority over them, but there was a point when he needed to encourage them and help them into this whole process. And what Paul is saying there is that all the resources of God become ours as heirs of God, and, and that the neat thing is we're able to draw directly on them to live our new lives. The relationship, however, is extremely personal and intimate as it was meant to be between children and fathers in, in Rome. And um, it's maintained by living that relationship out in a personal and intimate way, not by following a set of rules. Um, because any time our relationship with our Heavenly Father becomes about following rules, one of the first things that happens is we lose our joy. Galatians 4.15, Paul says, what's happened to your joy? I bring that up because we just talked about that in our weekend services. If you're not experiencing a measured joy in your life, something's wrong. And, and generally, one of the first big things, and I said it, one of the first big killjoys is legalism. It's one of the things that impacts more believers than just about anything else. And you see it. If you meet people that are following Christ that have absolutely no joy, it's because they're trying to do it by following the law, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's no life. There is absolutely no life in that. All right. So, so what happens is instead of living this thing out in God in relationship, 
which is how we're supposed to work it out, you know, and it, God is so cool that way, because, you know, I would, I would say it this way, you know, we do, you, we live by trying to do the next right thing, why that works is, if you continually do what you shouldn't do, and you're staying in relationship with God, he lets you know, and he loves you back into doing what you should do, that's what's so cool about it, it's, it's, it's the, the spirit of God alive and at work in your life, uh, who's in there, and, and he's moving you through the process, and he is diligent, and helping you along. He shows you mercy, and then, and, and, and uh, you know, a lot of times you get this really tender mercy from God that helps you move along and make changes, and then he's got this other move mercy altogether that's not tender. Uh, it's like slam dunk mercy, <laughs> where, where he finally goes lovingly, splat, <laughs> and you go, hmm, that's probably not good to do. And, and it's still mercy, though, because he loves, he's loving you the whole time. You know, he's, I love it. See, I, what we need to learn, I hope, maybe none of you have any issues like I do, because you're not stubborn like me. Yeah, good. Because um, some, and, and some of us are pretty tough, too. Uh, so we can take it for a long time before we get it. But, but. One of the things, if we respond to God's tender mercy, oh, that's really better. That's the best time to respond. You get a little tender mercy that's God saying, hey, you should, you know, the spirit of God moving you, you should probably, this probably is not your best step here. Do this one. Um, take, that, take that advice. Because if you keep going on that other one, the mercy changes. It's still mercy, but it, it'll get you back on track. Anyway, he's, see, the spirit, it's a, it's a living relationship. It's, it's alive. It's happening. It's real. And it's, it's so much better than, here's the rules. I, I, you know, it's just, I hate it when people hand me the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't doing that one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll just pretend I'm doing that one. Or I'll do that one on the outside, but not on the inside. On the inside, I'll be going. They're rebellious. It's just on the inside, though. So, um, this relationship that we're to have in Christ by faith, characterized by grace and the Spirit of God working in our lives, instead of being under bondage to the law, which causes us to start living like slaves. That's the point that Paul makes. We live without freedom. We live without freedom. And, you know, freedom is an amazing thing. People always want to, they, they, they fight for it and they do all sorts of things, but they're always trying to trade it away too for other stuff, for security and for other things. And it's like, it's not worth it. Okay, um, then Paul looks to the historical event of Sarah and Abraham to give us a little deeper insight on the whole issue, and that's I'll just talk about it for a couple of minutes. Remember that Abraham and Sarah have been given the promise of a son from God, even though they're both older in age. And, and they got the promise, but it was taking a while. It was taking a long time. So Sarah um, gets tired of waiting, and she goes to Abraham and suggests that, that he take her maidservant, her slave, Hagar, and makes a baby with her. And then legally, technically, um, that, that would be their child. Now, what, what you know, in retrospect, it's easy to look in retrospect. What Abraham should have done was said, no, honey, it's going to be okay. Just hang on to the promise. But instead, what he said was, all right, honey, if that's really what you want me to do, I'll go and sleep with your maidservant and make a baby big problem <laughs> would have been better to say no let's just wait and do it God's way but he doesn't 
All right, and so he goes uh, with Hagar, and they do indeed make a son who's named uh, Ishmael. And um, Ishmael does not bring Sarah joy by a long shot. It, Ishmael then is a, re, a reminder of the fact that Abraham can have babies and she can't. So it's not a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a significant problem. And so eventually, and Sarah does in fact get pregnant and conceive, and they have a son. Isaac and Sarah have a son named Isaac. What happens then is Sarah doesn't want Ishmael to share in the firstborn son he did, who was going to get the, the bulk of Abraham's stuff and estate. She doesn't want him to get any of it. She wants it all to go to Isaac. And so she says to Abraham, look, I want you to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And Hagar resists, or I, I, Abraham resists, A, because he cares for Ishmael and, and Hagar, and it's not the right thing to do, and he knows it's not the right thing to do, and he starts to resist her, um, and God intervenes and says, no, go ahead, send them away, I'll take care of them, and he does. Now, it, it wasn't because of Sarah's reasons, which were very selfish, but Paul says there's a deeper part to this whole thing. Galatians 4.30, when he says this, but what does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, quoting from Genesis, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. What Paul is saying is this, that the principle of promise and law simply do not and cannot mix. You cannot inherit the blessing of God through the law. Only the one who's a son on the basis of God's promise can inherit God's blessing. Only the kids who come in on the promise inherit the blessing of God. You can't get in on the law. You can't do it. it can't be done. That's Paul's point. We can't do it. Well, then if you can't do it, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't get you into relationship with God, why do it? That's his whole point. You can't do both. You can't mix and match. You can't, it doesn't work. You've been set free from it. You're under grace, in faith, in Christ, in relationship, direct relationship with God being led by the Spirit. It's not a license to sin by any stretch of the imagination. It's a, it's a relationship that causes you to connect with God in such a way that you have to listen and learn from the Spirit about what real life is and where you find it. And it's found in that context of relationship. That's where life is found. That's the blessing of God in your life. And it comes through the promise, not through the law. That's Galatians chapter 4. I'm going to end it there for today. If you're watching on television or by video, thank you very much for spending this time with us. We know how valuable your time is, and we appreciate you giving us some of it today. If there's anything that we can do for you, please call us or write us or email us or go on a website or do whatever. We'll see what we can do. All right? And uh, we'll be back at some point in time soon to spend some time with you again. So thank you very much for spending time with us.